Good morning. Today we follow the order of service on page 15, the order of Holy Communion. Our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 331, Yea, As I Live, Jehovah Sat, hymn 331. Thank you. 
the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as they called an ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For our psalm today, we read Psalm 19 responsibly with the congregation, reading those verses in full time. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. 
Almighty God, who knows us to be set in the midst of so many and great dangers that by reason of the frailty of our nature we cannot always stand upright, grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. You may be seated. Our epistle lesson for today is recorded in St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans in chapter 1, beginning at the 18th verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God 
into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Here ends our reading of the epistle. I ask you to please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Gospel appointed for today is recorded in Matthew chapter 8, beginning at the 23rd verse. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. We join in confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed found on page 22. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven 
and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and descended to heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn 579, Almighty Lord, before thy throne. you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we again pray your Holy Spirit's blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word this day, that we might be edified and built up in our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might hold fast to him unto life everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know whether it was this morning on the way to church or before we left for church, but Lonnie made the comment to me, you must have been depressed when you picked the hymns for this week. Uh, Because if you've noticed, the hymns somewhat are a little bit more on the gloomy side in that they speak of sin and impenitence and of God's judgment upon sin and of the need to repent. And certainly today's text, the epistle lesson read to you a few minutes ago, is not a joyful text to read or to preach about. But it is a part of God's word, and it's an important part of God's word that we understand, that we see. And so we focus on the judgment of the Lord God. This text speaks about God's judgment upon the world in which we live. It speaks about God's judgment upon our own nation and people. And it also speaks of God's judgment upon his church, the visible church in this world. I read to you the opening verse where it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. A few minutes ago, we read from Psalm number 19. Psalm 19, of course, points out that all of us, from God's creation, should recognize that there is a God who is almighty, all-powerful, who is all-knowing and wise, a God to whom we must give an account. Psalm 19 begins by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, the sky, shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge, And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And so each and every day, God's creation, whether you look at the stars at night or whether you look at his creation during the daylight hours, his creation testifies to the existence of God, a maker of all these things. And the more and more we learn about God's creation, the more and more it becomes obvious or should become obvious that this is not the product of some mere chance. Mathematically, it's impossible because 
As you multiply those chances that need to take place, it becomes far more likely to win the lottery. I mean, that is a, a real positive thing to win the lottery in comparison to all these things happening by chance. So the more and more we learn, the more and more we see that there has to be an all-wise creator who designed all these things, who created all things and made them just so, and who preserves them all and keeps all things going. And so day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth, showeth knowledge, and there's no speech or language in all the world where there is not this witness of God because everywhere in the world you can look up and see the stars, see the sun, and see all of God's creation. It says that their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run, his, run a race and is going forth as from the end of the heaven and a circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And there is nothing hid from the witness and the testimony of God's creation to the Creator. And so everyone is without excuse. Of course, in addition to this, the psalm goes on then to speak about not only natural knowledge of God from creation, but the revealed knowledge of God from his word, because it goes on to say the law of the Lord, the law being the Torah, which is a reference to all of the Old Testament scriptures in its broad sense, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so God has revealed himself, and as we read in Romans chapter 1, that which may be known of God is manifest or revealed in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This natural knowledge of God also includes a natural knowledge of God's law written upon our hearts because we read in the, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, that when the Gentiles, which have not the law, in other words, they don't have the Old Testament scriptures and God's commandments, when they do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or, or else excusing one another. And so though that knowledge of God has become darkened by sin, yet upon every person living in this world, there is a natural knowledge of what is right and wrong and a conscience which accuses us when we break that law and excuses us when we Follow it and keep it. And so you can look anywhere in the world and you can see that cultures, even where they did not have the scriptures, still believe it's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to murder. 
at least not people in your own tribe. It might be all right if they're on the tribe on the next hill. But to a limited degree, they have a knowledge of God's law. They believe it's wrong to steal. You know, it's wrong to lie. That knowledge of God has become darkened by sin, but it's still there, and consciences accuse us when we break that natural knowledge of God. And it says that they hold this knowledge in unrighteousness. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. In other words, they didn't give thanks to God for making them and caring for them. They didn't honor him as God. But they became vain or foolish or empty in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. The height of foolishness came about with Darwin's evolutionary theory, which removed God from the picture and said it all happened by chance that we've all evolved from lower forms of life, leading to the conclusion that life had to begin as some simple, simple form. And now we find out there is no such thing as a simple form of life because even the simplest form of life is very complex. And so it's a height of foolishness. The foolish heart is darkened as they reject God as the creator. And so they hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know deep down that there is a God. They know deep down that they are accountable to God, but they reject him. I think of the words of Psalm number two. Psalm number two, it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, all in caps, meaning it's Jehovah or Yahweh, and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And so the people in this world seek to break away all the bonds, all the responsibility to God and his anointed one to the Christ and reject him and go their own way. Of course, as the psalm goes on, the Lord sits in heaven and laughs. How can you break away from dependence upon God who creates life, who holds our very breath in his hands? It's foolishness. How can you disregard the Son? He will be our judge on the last day. And so it says at verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We can see this in our own society and culture. Probably began big time back when I was young and the hippie movement uh, took place where there was free love, free sex, and everybody began to do their own thing because they had cast off the moral requirements of God's law and they were doing their own thing. And one of the signs of a nation and a society or a culture going downhill is usually begins with sexual immorality. When you cast off God, then you begin to indulge in the sinful desires of your own flesh. But notice it says that God gave them up. Because they cast off God and did not believe that God was their creator, that they were responsible to him, or accountable to him because they did not seek God or honor him as God, God gave them up to their own affections. God said, okay, if you reject me, see how it goes on your own. And he let them go their own way because God is not a God who forces us to worship him or to honor him or to trust in him. And so it began with, uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, dishonoring of their own bodies between themselves. They changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature, usually ourselves or man, more than the creator who is blessed forever. And it goes on. For this cause, another step, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet or fitting. And so it went from, you know, sexual freedom to gross sexual immorality. Our society and our culture always likes to direct us to science. You know, look to the science. We can see how darkened they have become by rejecting the truth because they claim to look to science and now somehow they cannot even tell that a man and a woman are made to be together and that their sexual relationship will produce children. And they say that, you know, one can be born a male and decide they want to be a female or vice versa. They don't see true science. First, we see that in abortion as well. Very clear from science that from conception onward, a life in the womb is a human life. By the time you can hear the heartbeat, you have many of the organs of a human being in the womb. And yet they were saying that it's okay to abort a child as long as they're not born 
But the minute they are born, unless the doctor you know, still takes the life of the child, hoping no one will know, then it is murder. Doesn't sound like science to me. Doesn't sound like common sense to me. And so we become more and more darkened in sin because God has given us over to these things. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 24, says, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Certainly that's what's happening in America today. We have rejected God as a nation, and now we have become more and more darkened in sin. God said, okay, you reject me, go your way. And so what do we do? We turn into animals, basically. You know, we have corrupted the ways of the Lord. We have turned to homosexuality. Now we even say that it is wrong to speak against such things. And we know that God's judgment ultimately will come. And people know deep down in their conscience these things are wrong and yet they go headlong into them and seek to quiet anyone who would speak God's word and warn against these things. Of course, we're not the first nation to do this. Uh, it happened to the Romans, happened to many other nations and cultures. I think of what uh, is recorded in the book of Acts in I can find the passage here. Acts chapter 14, verse 16. Here, Paul, I believe, is speaking, and he's speaking uh, when the people sought to worship Paul and Barnabas. He's saying, sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions as you. And as it goes on, it says, who in time past, speaking about God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. This is what happens in history. Nations rise, they walk in their own ways, they destroy themselves. It's happened again and again. It's happening now. When God withdraws his hand, who is there to bless us and protect us? 
Read in the book of Deuteronomy what God said to his own people of Israel, that when you, when you follow me, and I will bless you, I will bless you know, your, your farms, I'll bless your families, I will keep disease from coming upon you, but if you turn away, all these things are going to be gone. Instead of you going with one man and frightening, you know, a whole army like Gideon did, one of your enemies is going to come against you and you're all going to run away in fear. So we see the judgment of God coming because he's withdrawn his hand, his protecting hand from our nation and people because we have rejected him. This also happens to individuals. They reject God, and ultimately God turns them over to their own vile affections. I hate to speak of it, but I have a son who ardently rejected God and the God stuff, who has turned to homosexuality in his rejection of God. He knows, it's why he doesn't want to hear. He knows the truth, same as people know the truth today, but they don't want to hear because they want to feel good about what they are doing and they don't want to be reminded of the coming judgment of God. Sad to say, not only does this affect our nation and individuals, but it affects the churches, I'm not talking about the true Christian church, but I'm talking about the invisible or the visible church in this world. Those gatherings which include both believers as well as hypocrites. Many churches today have endorsed abortion. They've endorsed homosexuality, they've endorsed same-sex marriage. And I will tell you, one cannot be a Christian and do these things. Because to be a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. And I've heard people argue and say, well, Jesus never said homosexuality was wrong. However, who is it that gave the scriptures and gave us Leviticus 18 where it lays out all these things that are called an abomination to the Lord? Who is it that was with his two angels came to Abraham and after speaking about Sarah having a son when they went on, spoke about the judgment that was going to be carried out against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness? With whom did Abraham plead, Lord, if there are 50 righteous, Lord, if there are 40, all the way down to 10? It was the pre-incarnate Christ. Who is it that gave Moses the law through the angels, which includes Leviticus 18? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, when... They come to Jesus and they say, well, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And Jesus said, well, from the beginning it was not so. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 2 that God, and Genesis chapter 1 that God made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man 
leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. But God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So who is it that says marriage is between one man and one woman and it is not to end in divorce? It's not the church. It's Jesus. One cannot be a follower of Jesus and teach all that he commands and teach that homosexuality, adultery, fornication, divorce, that these things are okay that God just smiles at them. And that was just a different culture. To be honest, if one wants to practice these things and say, you know, they want to be religious, they need to find another religion because true Christianity is completely contrary to their lifestyle. True Christianity, position of true Christianity is described right here in St. Paul's letter to the Romans. First Corinthians chapter six, St. Paul here makes quite clear that one cannot practice these things and go on in these things impenitent and be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, which is any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. I always find it, you know, it's really easy to define fornication by defining what's not fornication. What's not fornication is a sexual relationship between a husband and his wife in marriage. Any other sexual relationship is fornication. So know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And I hope you understand that these things are talking about, you know, men acting like women or those who commit homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, it goes on to say, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so those who repent of these evil deeds and look to Christ can be justified and forgiven. When I read that passage, I often like to read from Revelation 21. I might mention that as I turn there that those who say, oh, that's just the Apostle Paul uh, need to read the book of Jude as well. In Romans chapter 21, it says at verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolatries and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone 
which is the second death. And so it's not just these big sins in our eyes, all liars. Those who lie and continue in lying, impenitent, will also have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth forever and ever. And so what is the only hope? For us as individuals, our only hope is the repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, that's what God desires. God didn't write this or give us this section of scripture simply to have a gloomy text to preach about or to preach the law and to warn people of going to hell. But he has a purpose. Really brought out in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, uh, we sang a hymn based on this passage. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God's desire is not to condemn people to hell. His desire is that we repent and look to him for mercy. And through faith in Christ, be forgiven and justified, and then seek God's help and strength to amend our ways to live for him. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, he says, Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so God's desire for individuals as well as for nations is that they repent. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and I realize this applies specifically to Israel, says, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is certainly a passage which can, which can rightly be applied to our own nation and people. Our people need to humble themselves before the Lord God. They need to turn to him in prayer, seek his face, Turn from their wicked ways. Seek God's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God promises that he will forgive their sin and heal their land. Sad to say when God turns over a nation and people to his judgment, it doesn't look like there's much hope left. Because when God says, okay, here you go, go your own way. And God no longer is working to bring them back to repentance. The only thing left is the final judgment and the condemnation to hell. Same thing is true of individuals. If an individual 
rejects and rejects and rejects at some point, and we don't know when that point is, but at some point it can happen that God says, okay, go your own way. And apart from the gracious working of the Holy Spirit, there is no hope. The person will continue on their downward ways and end up in eternal fires of hell. But God calls upon all of us, and this here this is a warning for all of us, and as we go on, we'll see that, you know, though we may boast, well, I don't do those things. We get to Romans chapter 2. Who are you that condemn others when you do the same things? Or who are you who condemn others for doing these things when you have a sinful heart that sometimes longs after some of these same things? And so the message to all of us is to continue in daily contrition and repentance, to acknowledge our sins and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross for mercy and forgiveness. And then with the help and aid of God's Holy Spirit, seek to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to live a life that is pleasing unto him, knowing that as sinful human beings, we will fail and we will continue to be coming to the cross until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. But we continue to look to Christ for mercy and forgiveness. And as a fruit of our faith, we seek to live for the Lord God and do his ways. I did not read the entire passage here, but there is another step in this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Almost seems out of place in this list, but disobedience to parents is a big part of it. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It shows the depths of turning away from God into sin, that all these things become the direction we go and we rejoice when others do them because then we don't feel so bad about ourselves when we do them. But the message of God's word is that this path leads to death and eternal damnation. The only hope is to look to Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness and then amend our life and live according to what God tells us in his word. God grant that we examine our own selves, our own thinking, that we continue in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus. Amen. I ask you to please stand.
the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. be seated, we continue by bringing forward our offer. I invite you to please stand and join in the prayers of the church. Merciful Father, for the sake of the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, forgive us for failing to walk by faith in the promises of your word. Move us to read and study our Bibles regularly and to come before you with our petitions and praises. Keep us from being overcome by our sinful inclinations and preserve us in the true and saving faith unto life everlasting. Lord, in your mercy. O Christ Jesus, eternal Son of God and our Savior, you gave your life for ours when you died on the cross and made atonement for our sins. Bless the work of our pastors and of faithful pastors and missionaries everywhere, so that your life-giving word might be proclaimed among us and among the nations and peoples of the world, and those who hear might repent of their sins and look to you and your cross for pardon and forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. O Holy Spirit, do not forsake us because of our weakness and disobedience to your word. Be patient with us and move us to continually repent of our sins and look in faith to our Savior for mercy. Teach us from your word 
Strengthen and keep us in the true and saving faith. Lord, in your mercy. O loving and merciful God, our nation and people are living in darkness and are under your wrath and judgment. Open the eyes and ears of your people and rulers that they might see and hear the truth of your word. Repent of their evil deeds and fall down at the feet of Jesus, pleading for pardon and forgiveness. And then seek to walk in your ways that your judgment may be turned away and your eternal wrath against us be averted. Lord, in your mercy. O healer and preserver of both our bodies and our souls, as you have promised, we ask you to provide for all our needs of body and soul and to preserve us from all harm and danger and all evil. We lift up to you those among us who are afflicted, we remember today, especially Linda, Joyce, Matthew, Carl, Harley, and all others we name in our hearts. Have mercy upon us, grant healing to the sick, comfort to those who are oppressed, and strength for all to endure the troubles and afflictions of this life in the hope of everlasting glory. For the sake of Christ Jesus, our Savior, Lord, in your mercy, You may be seated. We continue by singing hymn number 310, Thy Table I Approach. Thank you. 
I ask you to please stand. The Lord be with you. give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. And now do we praise thee that thou didst send unto us thine only begotten Son, and that in him, being found in fashion as a man, thou didst manifest the fullness of thy glory. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Again, I'd invite you all to come forward. Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for all your sins. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins. I ask you to please stand. Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake.
give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. We give thanks to thee, almighty God, that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. The Lord be with you. face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You may be seated. We close our worship by singing hymn 263, O Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe.
You may have noticed in the second verse of this hymn, it says, to be of good cheer. Your cause belongs to him who can avenge your wrongs. Leave it to him, our Lord. Though hidden yet from mortal eyes, his Gideon shall for you arise, uphold you in his word. So maybe the song sounded gloomy, but be of good cheer. As far as announcements, uh, midweek Bible study at 7 o'clock via Jitsi Meet. Uh, We're in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in the final chapter, so we'll probably finish chapter 4, but then I sometimes say that. We don't quite make it all the way, but I think I think we will finish chapter 4 of Colossians this week. Next Sunday is already February. No? Yeah. Yeah, it is. The first is on Wednesday, so it's February 5th, so it is potluck dinner and congregational voters meeting. So plan on that, and then second, ladies, second Saturday brunch is on the 11th, so that's not next Saturday, but the following. Any other announcements this morning? Uh, I mentioned, let me quickly turn this off.